0: what we value the podcast hello and welcome to what we value a podcast by deutsche Telekom, aiming to inspire and support young people on their volunteering journey listen to insightful conversations between me your host jacqueline azza and a diverse range of guests from across europe from high profile and action-oriented young activists to volunteering project leaders Hello, everybody, and welcome to the What We Value podcast. I'm your host, Shaquan Azza, and today we're talking to Ishan Shah. How are you doing today, Ishan?
1: I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? That's
0: great. I'm doing really good today. Can you start off by introducing yourself?
1: Of course. My name is Ishan Shah. I am 19 years old, based in London, the United Kingdom, and I'm currently studying international relations at King's College London. I'm the founder of Stolen Dreams, which is an international youth-led anti-modern slavery and anti-human trafficking collective.
0: Your awareness of slavery started at 13 years old. Wow. Can you explain to us how your awareness came about and then how you transferred that awareness into action?
1: Yes, that's a great question. So growing up, my family had taken me to India and we used to visit sort of the the rural areas in in north of India in a place called Gujarat. Um, That's the name of the state. Um, and from a very young age my family has always told me uh, and brought me up in a way where we always value service to others and selflessness and recognizing our own privilege and the resources that we have and using that in, in any capacity on any level um, to, to really give back to others and value that notion of service and selflessness um, and it was in about 2017 that I first found out that modern slavery and human trafficking still existed. And I was quite shocked because at school we had learned about historic slavery and the transatlantic slave trade. But we weren't told that actually abolition back in 1833, or at least here in the UK, didn't really mean that slavery and the exploitative practices that we see today, um, that still exist today, um, sort of were still happening. I didn't realise that this was something that was happening so close to home either. It's happening right on our doorsteps and the clothes we eat, the food we, um, the clothes we wear, the food we eat, and even potentially on our high streets. And I was shocked because actually what we're seeing is that the rates of modern slavery and human trafficking today are very high. In fact, one in four victims are children. And so this really is a global issue. And I went into school the following week and I asked all 150 odd children in my year group at school, do you know modern slavery exists? And not one of them knew. And I was really seeing this disconnect between young people and the movement and the anti slavery movement as a whole. And I thought, you know, recognising the resources and the privilege I have, the access to the internet, for example, and communications um, sort of methods. I thought, let me use this to really drive change. And that's where Stolen Dreams really started as a communications platform to raise awareness about modern state and human trafficking to others.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, you said that you were a young child with your family visiting back in India, correct?
1: It was tough. Um I think it's one thing when you're reading about sort of poverty, gender inequality, um, all of these different global challenges and issues that we're facing today, it's one thing reading about it or seeing it on the news, um, on your TV screen or on your iPhone, but it's another thing actually being there in person and seeing how differently people are living across the world. And these were children that I was seeing, children who are my age, younger than me even, and these were the, some of the happiest kids I've ever met in my life. They had close to nothing. They were sort of living in sort of one bedroom rooms that had been built using, uh, you know, leftover scrap materials, for example, and, and sharing between 13 of them. They were having minimal access to education, you know, not very many textbooks, not very, very many resources. Uh, when they were playing football, for example, they didn't even have trainers. And yet these were some of the most selfless and happiest kids I've ever met. Um And coming back, From India, um, you know, after visiting these children and then coming back to the UK and seeing how privileged we are to live the life that we live, to have a roof over our heads, to have access to education, which is a fundamental human right, to have access to three meals a day, a family, um, to not worry about where our next meal is going to come from or who's going to make that meal. It really puts your life into perspective, Um, but but it shows you how structural some of these issues are, how systemic they are, and how actually we have to recognize there are so many ways in which we as individuals can take action on a local grassroots level to really drive positive change in that sense.
0: Can you tell us a little more about what you do with the UN and the government? Also, tell us a little bit more about your other roles and other spaces in activism.
1: Yes, for sure. So I fell into the UN world uh, last year in uh, February 2021. And this was because I was invited to speak at a parallel event during the UN's Commission on the Status of Women uh, to speak about trafficking in persons, especially of women and children. Um, So Stolen Dream started back in 2017. And we've been working since then really as a organisation to raise awareness uh, about modern slavery and human trafficking. And then we realised actually that We as young people can really harness our own power, our own determination, perseverance, and our unique experiences um, and our expertise in our own lived realities as well to really drive concrete action. And so that's when Solid Dreams underwent sort of a transformative phase uh, to really understand that actually we as young people do play a role in this movement and we can really transform that awareness into concrete action from the very grassroots level, but also on uh, national level, regional level and then international level too. And so when I was invited to speak at this parallel session during the UN's Commission on the Status of Women, which we call CSW, I really was noticing, that actually, I was the youngest person speaking, but also within that virtual room, there weren't many young people either who were present. And I was noticing that the UN does a lot of work on... Anti-trafficking, it does a lot of work on human rights abuses, gender equality, climate change. We're seeing this. We're seeing these movements, particularly the climate change movement, really embracing young people's voices and our generation's voice and our power. But the anti-slavery movement wasn't, and and to date, you know, we have made progress, but it still isn't. It still hasn't undergone that transformative process yet, whereby stakeholders intergenerationally are, are realizing the power and value that we bring to the table. Whether that's within organisations and civil society, but also at the decision making table. And so I fell into the UN world, I fell into the world of UN Women. Um, UN Women is doing amazing things to really drive that whole gender equality narrative across the UN system. And I engage with a lot of incredibly inspiring young people. And this is my favourite part of being in the youth ad- activism space is, you know, you get to meet and connect with so many incredible people like yourself as well. And you get to learn from each other and you get to sort of feed off of each other's passion and determination. And you find ways in which you can work together and collectively drive action towards advancing that same common goal that you all have in mind. And I happen to connect with all these amazing gender youth advocates and I joined the network of, of UN Women's Youth Constituency, and we're a network of 300, um, over 300 national youth advocates. And really, we're working in so many different areas um, to to drive this narrative of, of making sure that all women and girls in all their diversity are really placed at the centre of decision making spaces and efforts. So that's my role within UN Women, and, and we're working um, with stakeholders uh, t- um, sort of internationally to really make sure that young people are at the heart of these conversations around gender equality and the empowerment of all women and girls. And then in around December, I was onboarded as... Um, the UN Office on Drugs and Crimes Youth focal Point for stakeholder engagement for the implementation of the United Nations Convention Against Transnational Organised Crime. And really that just came from me dropping some emails to the Civil Society Division there um, within the UN Office on Drugs and Crime, which is based in Vienna. And I, I literally just dropped them an email saying, you know, you need to be doing more around bringing more young people into the conversation to counter transnational organised crime. Um, here are some steps you can take, and here's how we as Solid Dreams are willing to support... And they were very receptive and they took us on board and they, and we had a few sort of teams calls and we found a way in which that actually we can work together to really strengthen meaningful and substantive youth participation um, within the UN system on tackling transnational organized crime. And then I'm also dabbling in, in a few other areas of the UN system, um, as we, as many young activists are, uh, particularly now with the development and establishment of the of the new UN Youth Office. Um, and there are a lot of other conversations happening for a summit of the future in 2023 um, and, and various other conversations to do with the Secretary General's Our Common Agenda. But it's just really about connecting with other amazing youth advocates um, within the UN system and seeing where we can support and where we can work together, because this is really a collective space a space where you know there's no barriers to participation um because as young people we really recognize that you know if we are to be wanting to call for our meaningful participation at these high level spaces then also within our own constituency we have to make sure we're being as inclusive and diverse as possible and and recognizing that actually there are so many global issues that we're facing today that we can't tackle them alone and that's why we need to be working together in partnership and in collaboration
0: The concept and word that comes to my mind is intersectionality, the idea that all things affect each other and they connect at some point. Is that what you mean when you say that? Exactly. Intersectionality
1: is so important because we have to recognize that all of the issues we're facing today are interconnected in in some way or some form. And sort of the best way I um, sort of visualize this is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And there's 17 of them and sort of the logo that they used is is this circle and each of the sustainable development goals is like a little chip and has different colors. And and the circle really just resembles how interconnected all these issues are and how actually we can't just achieve one of these goals, we have to achieve all 17 together collectively to really see that transformative change and create a better planet for ourselves but also the generations to come
0: speaking of intersectionality and all of your roles that you play in activism and volunteering what are some of the unexpected similarities between each of these roles and what have you learned in your time of creating tangible action
1: whenever we're working in the space of of anti-human trafficking efforts i think with with any issue we come across really we're always looking for intersectionalities i think that's what we are that's what we program ourselves to do because it's so crucial that we do so. But I think there are so many interesting intersectionalities. Um, I wouldn't say surprising um, because I think the the way in which we've been brought up, I guess, in this activism space um, has been to always identify those intersectionalities. But I think there have been some really interesting ones, particularly to do with climate change, for example, um, and how actually climate change is causing displacement, but also loss and damage. It's causing drought and flooding, all of these other issues which are exacerbating vulnerabilities to human trafficking. And of course, with with all forms of, or with most forms of modern slavery and human trafficking that we see today, it is women and girls who are disproportionately impacted. And that's because gender inequalities are you know, deeply embedded and ingrained in the structures and systems that we, as men, benefit from um, every day and, and sort of in, in things that we do. And, and power imbalances exist and, and all of these forms of exploitation thrive off of those power imbalances. Um, And of course, women and girls are then uh, disproportionately impacted most. But also in terms of conflict uh, in the situation in Afghanistan, in Syria, South Sudan, um, and of course, more recently in in Ukraine as well, we are seeing those crucial links there between instability, um, lack of peace um, and elevated vulnerabilities and risks and prevalence to modern slavery and human trafficking.
0: I think that it's pertinent to discover and unpack intersectionalities, not even in the world, but in our personal lives and the things that we do, just like we did with Ishan, because it is important and it could provide so much clarity to see the way other people are tackling their issues and how they may intersect so you could tackle yours. For example, how you just explained that tackling climate change will indirectly help the fight against modern slavery and i just think that it should be no reason why we don't work together and that these things do connect and it's really cool to see our generation gen z be the ones to do that because it's all connected together okay so you being in all these spaces like working with the un founding an organization all of these amazing spaces that could look quite intimidating. When you show up, do you find it hard for those who are older than us and who've been in the space for a lot longer to take us seriously? Like, are there intergenerational conflicts? And how do you deal with that? And what other issues do you think that Gen Z faces in high spaces like that, the political space?
1: And that's a really interesting question. I think being connected to the UN itself is a privilege. Um, You know, for example, the conversation that we're having now is I'm doing it on my computer. I have access to the Internet, uh, to to Wi-Fi, um, to the digital world. And there are millions of young people in the world who don't, who are in rural areas, who are in areas where it is not even safe to speak about human rights or gender equality. um, And just recognizing that in itself, acknowledging that, but then also realizing how actually when you have access to these spaces, particularly political spaces, it is a big responsibility in itself because you have to make sure, one, that you're not just, you know, having your own little echo chamber, but also that you're representing the views of all the young people out there who... R- rely on people who have access to bring their issues to the table and, and to support action in that way, but also to recognise as well that this is a huge responsibility in itself. And because we have access to the UN and to these spaces where the decision's being made, it is also our duty then to continue to work extremely hard every day to break down the barriers that prevent others in doing so as well, because the UN is, of course, this member state-driven process Um, It it does great things as well, but it is also very exclusionary. It is very tokenistic. Um, There are a lot of systemic barriers and challenges to our participation as young people, and that is our meaningful participation as young people, um, but also wider civil society as a whole. And so when you are talking to decision makers, uh, to the people who have the power, whether that's in governments or in the boardroom, yes, it is challenging because they are not used to having young people challenge them or young people come to them with solutions. They're not really used to engaging with us. And I think that is where we need that really foundational shift is that actually recognizing that we as young people are stakeholders, right? They are making decisions that will affect us. They are making decisions that will affect future generations. And ultimately they are making decisions that the consequences we're going to have to deal with when we assume those positions, when we enter the world of work um, and these positions that they're in currently. And there is so much value to recognising that because we as young people are experts not only of realities, but also we're intelligent. We are a generation that is full of solutions. You know, we know what we're doing. We know what we're talking about. And we're very innovative in that sense. We can see that, you know, this may not be working, but actually a different solution is better because it's more inclusive or it will have more positive outcomes or, or outputs. So that makes sense. And I think when we recognise the value that young people bring to the table, we will see Progress will be so much more efficient. It will act as a catalyst to achieving the Sustainable Development Goals. It will act as a uh, sort of a catalyst to achieving um, peace, security, um, to advancing human rights and gender equality, and and that is where we need to see that intergenerational collaboration partnership. Because we have our allies in the system making spaces, and I think we need to work together collectively to recognise the benefit that actually not only young people bring to the table, but what is the benefit to decision makers and and the benefit that we also receive as young people in terms of learning, capacity building, sort of figuring out and navigating these complex political spaces. And that is where we need to see more investment in young people, but also more investment in having those dialogues, those meaningful dialogues with people in power and really talking about power in a more holistic way we know that those power dynamics are not working in our favor right now and we have to restructure those power dynamics to make sure that young people you know especially young women and girls are having access to power to center their voices in leadership positions in decision making spaces and and this means at all levels we're not just talking about the UN the international space we're talking about the grassroots levels within organizations within local governments Um, within sort of companies even and the private sector. And this expands much broader to conversations about um, wider public participation too.
0: Fixing institutional oppression is our long-term goal. That is the end goal. That is what we're all dedicating our young lives to doing. What are some of the short-term things that we can do to open space and pass the mic to the voices that may not be heard, to the kids that may need the platform? What can we do as Gen Z changemakers who have a lot of connections and who've done a lot in the space to bridge that gap although we are minorities there are still inter-community or intercommunal hierarchies and oppression that goes on we still hold privilege in other areas to where it is our responsibility to pass the mic so what can we do? I think the first thing would
1: always be to remember that Again, it's not familiar discourse for young people to be involved in these spaces. And so that really means that we ourselves have to be proactive. We have to be reaching out to people. And I can tell you now as well that a lot of people in these decision-making spaces wouldn't have even thought about reaching out to a young person and asking their opinion, for example, or or involving them in these processes. And that's exactly how I got sort of the UN Office on Drugs and Crime to start taking action was I just sent an email to the person in the Social Society Division and said, you know? Um, you need to be doing more. And here's how we can do so together. And we have to be proactive. We have to be reaching out to these intergenerational allies, I guess. And we have to form this partnership as connections, networking. Um, and it takes a lot of effort on our end, but it has to be done. Because when you then have access to those spaces, it means that then you hold that responsibility and duty to go into your community to hold consultations, to hold focus groups, to go into your schools, to go to your um, sort of classmates and peers and tell them, you know, hey, this is an opportunity that, we you know, I facilitated, that we facilitated. Now come on board and join. Here's how you can do so. Here's X, Y and Z. Um, here's sort of an event that you can attend or here's a consultation we're running. And it's so important to recognize that actually it's not just about bringing the UN to the grassroots level, it's about bringing the grassroots voices to the UN. And in doing so, we have to dismantle those power structures and those barriers to our participation. And actually, we as young people can facilitate that because we have the resources and the networks and the communities to really expand and and be more inclusive and be more representative and diverse. Um, and, And again, that can be on social media. Of course, the online world is amazing because we can connect to... People you know from across the world with a click of a button, but it actually means as well thinking about what can we do offline how can we then reach those communities that may not have access to social media for example, how can we reach younger children as well children who may not act who may not have a phone yet who may not be of that age um and that really means going into our own grassroots communities onto our high streets working with our neighbors for example um I think that's where the the action really happens and You know, as much as we're navigating these UN spaces, working at the grassroots level always grounds me. And I think that's where my heart is at.
0: I know. My heart is also at the grassroots level. My organization has been grassroots pretty much from the start. But this past year is when I finally, my co-founder and I finally took that leap to filing for 501c3 status. And we're almost done. Um, So I'm really excited about that. But the reason why we even went to that is because we're seeing that the big donations and the grants and the large sums of money that will help us change lives are only acceptable for those who have that tax- tax-exempt tax status. And it's proving real hard to do things on a larger scale without that type of funding. Although we could still implement grassroots morals and values into our organization Sometimes you have to go the law route in order to help the most amount of people. Definitely. Yes. Yes.
1: The, the funding side of things is another very contentious space. And I think what we're generally calling for, and, and this is sort of our wider work with the UN, is, is to really encourage not only governments, but the private sector as well, to invest in, in funding youth individual youth, but also informal and formal youth organizations, collectives, networks, movements, but really making sure that funding is flexible and accessible as well and sustainable too, of course.
0: Let's stay on that. Let's unpack a little bit more about what it looks like to go from awareness to action, like the tangible steps from educating yourself to finding a group or starting your own group to Getting materials and getting funding to even being in it and coping with being in it. What do those steps look like, and what did it look like for you as well?
1: There are so many issues in the world today that we as young people are constantly being bombarded by. Whether it's climate change or conflict or human rights abuses, gender inequalities, um, it can be quite overwhelming, and I'm sure you'll agree as well. Um, yeah, and that sort of compromises our our well-being as well and we've got to make sure that we're looking after mental health too but I guess that's a, a another conversation we can have a bit later on as well but I think it's important that we we find our passion right and, and that it's only done through reading through exposing yourself to different experiences um and through learning about the world more Um, so for me you know my passion growing up was marine life and, and I used to sort of take action and again it's realizing activism is an individual journey and it doesn't have to be something that you do and create an international change or change as a station it can be changing the way in which you go about your day-to-day life Um, and for me growing up it was really and, and even to this day as well i'm still passionate about marine life um but but you know it was even things like reducing plastic usage um going to my school for example and telling them you know why don't we stop selling plastic water bottles or when you're having those water dispensers, why don't we stop using plastic cups and use paper cups, for example? Um, or even just raising awareness about what's happening to our oceans. Um, it, it's just very small actions we can take, but it starts with finding your passion. So when I first found out that modern slavery still exists in 2017, I really was uh, trying to struggle with what it really meant and how this was still happening, but also contextualising as well that this is a very broad issue. It's very deeply rooted in our systems and societies. What action and what impact can I, as a 13-year-old at the time, what can I really do, right? And I'm, this is sort of this existential crisis and question that I'm sure many of us young activists, including yourself, have probably... Uh, you know, we're asking ourselves constantly, right? This is not just a one-time thing. We're asking ourselves, exactly. <laughs> it, it's it's always happening. Um, and I think it's really important for us to remember that actually even the smallest of actions can have the biggest of impact. I um, you know, that ripple effect that we were talk about is, is so important to keep in mind. But it's also about mapping out what can you do. And I think the best way to start is start at a very grassroots local level, even within the family. And that's where I started was, okay, we have modern slavery. What are the ways in which I can take action with my friend group, for example, or with my family? And the first step is always raising awareness, is always starting conversations, particularly about the issues that don't take the headlines of, of of the news, for example, or that we're not taught about in the education system, um, or that are not sort of the the main narrative in in sort of global discourse. And it was really about just having the conversation, going to your friends, and saying. Do you know modern slavery seriously exists? Do you know that there are over 40 million people engaged in these forms of exploitative practices? Um, and sort of reading a bit more and understanding, how does this issue then impact me? Whether it's climate change, you know, climate change, for example, impact us directly, right? And there are ways in which we can take action on a very local level, whether that's reducing our water usage, for example, buying locally sourced foods, growing foods in our own gardens, for example, even... When it comes to the gender inequality context and, and that narrative as well, how do we tackle gender inequality? Well, actually, it starts by having those conversations in the household, breaking down those gender stereotypes, those harmful gender stereotypes, those misogynistic attitudes, those sexist attitudes, calling them out when we see them. And then the same for when it's tackling modern slavery. is, you know, We know that modern slavery is happening in the supply chains of the clothes we wear and the foods we eat. So it's about being a conscious consumer. Always asking yourself the question, always asking brands who made your clothes, for example, how much for your work is paid per piece of product produced? And it's really about just mapping out. And I always love to focus on the grassroots level because actually, you know, on the grassroots level, you get to connect with so many amazing people as well. But also when you're taking action on that level as well, it inspires others in your community to take action. That community action then mobilizes and transforms into further action into international action, into international action. And I think that's where it all starts. It all starts at the home, at the family, in your friend group, at that very, very bottom up approach level, if that makes sense. Um and that's exactly what we need to see. And then of course, there are so many other innovative ways. And I could talk about this for hours in terms of the ways in which we can use technology to drive action. Um, particularly, you know, as as we did when we started Solar Dreams, as we started up as a website because that's where all the young people were. They were all on the internet, all on social media. And that's the best way we thought we could reach um, young people. And then it's also about the innovative solutions. How can we harness um, art, for example, and, and the creative arts to really drive artivism in that sense, right? There are so many different ways in which young people can can really mobilise that awareness into concrete action Um, And I'm sitting here behind the screen with a big smile on my face as well, because I'm thinking of all the stories of all the other young people I've met who have done such incredible things. And and again, it's always started from finding your passion, seeing an injustice somewhere and really then committing to taking action and, and never giving up in that sense, but also making sure as well that you're taking care of your well-being too.
0: Yes, mental health. Can we talk about that as well? You at 13 years old came to consciousness about modern slavery. I know we touched on it a little bit about, you know, conceptualizing what that meant, but how do you take care of your mental health when you're constantly consuming such heavy topics like drug trafficking, international organized crime, and modern slavery?
1: Yes. I think it's it's mental health is so important And of course mental health is again with my intersectionality brain on it is an area that intersects with with human trafficking and modern slavery and of course it's um the ways in which traffickers take advantage of people especially young people is by is through sort of psychological manipulation and coercion and of course that means that people who suffer from um sort of mental health challenges whether it's anxiety post-traumatic stress disorder um, a depression, it means that they are more vulnerable to, to traffickers, taking advantage of them um, and the position that they're in. And of course, when survivors of modern slavery, human trafficking come out of those exploitative conditions, or even during those periods of exploitation as well, they will um, face severe mental health challenges. Um, and, and again, that's just with my intersectionality very well. but then of course, having to interact with this issue, and it's not just only with modern slavery, it's also with the climate anxiety um, and, you know, the, the climate change movement as well, or young people facing mental challenges there um, in the gender inequality space as well when you're attacking those injustices. Um, but also things like sort of addressing structural racism um, and, and homophobia and, and all these other forms of of intersecting discrimination is is so interesting to see that actually the mental health part of the individual is overlooked. And that is something that, is so powerful about this youth activism space is that actually we're starting now to talk more about mental health and we need to be doing so because as young activists we're in this for the long run and in order to make sure that we're helping others and ensuring to make sure that we're actually being as effective as possible in our activism we have to be taking care of ourselves first and that is where having a network of young activists um, and having that group of young people who are there for you you can check up on and, and we do this very often with our own spaces and our own circles as we will text each other um or, or call each other spontaneously and be like you "No, know, hey how are you doing are you okay how are you feeling um we always know that we're here to talk to each other um you know and, and rant and vent and you know it, it's a form of therapy in itself right C- talking to people talking to friends talking to family but I think it's also important as well to make sure you know when your boundaries are, um, to set yourself those boundaries and to stick to them as well and to recognise the signs of burnout, for example. Um, and for me, that means, you know, when I'm getting overtired, for example, or when I can feel that I'm being impatient with people, um, you know, or feeling just drained and exhausted or hurt or over emotional about certain things. I know that this means that it is time for me to detach, to disconnect, um, to take some time away from the news, from social media. Away from the screen, Um, of course, you know with COVID, everything is being done online nowadays, um, and sort of that Zoom fatigue is is real. Um, But I think it just means exactly it. But it just means just taking time off to to do things that you enjoy, to be with the people that bring you joy, Um, and just to switch off. Because I think rest in in itself is a form of resistance, and that is a phrase you often hear as well. Um, It is a form of re-energization, of of recuperation. And I think we really need to have those periodic um, and regular healing processes in order to maximize our impact um, in the advocacy sphere.
0: Yes, so many notable quotes in this conversation. First one is when you said, we are the experts of our own lived realities. And the second one is when you said, rest is a form of resistance. And I'm going to remember those forever. So thank you for that. I want to talk to the newcomers in the volunteering space real quick. Everybody who's, you know, a little green to everything. Because and I know you probably remember, Ishan, when you first started volunteering and activism, you were so excited. You're It's that point when you're finally discovering your voice and what you believe in, and you're going hard, and you're working overtime, and you're just volunteering for everything. You need to protect your mental health because burnout is real, and it comes quick, and it'll come at the point where you need it not to be there the most. Even when you're flying on an airplane, they tell you, even if it's you're next to a child, please put your mask on first before you help anybody else. So... I want all the newcomers to be implementing self-care early on before the stress even starts so you could prevent that from happening. You were just talking about technology and being that we are moving into some sort of a post-COVID world um, where we're getting back into the swing of things face-to-face, we are coming out of an era where we had to do everything online. I think it'll be very impossible to function in today's society without having some sort of technology and internet. Um, how has digital technology helped you build awareness for the cause?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the online world is great for raising awareness. Um, you know, you can share infographics, you can share information very quickly. Um, again, the issues that you have is into making sure that that information that you're absorbing is factual and is correct and is appropriate. Um, in its context, um, I and that's a whole other issue, right? This whole issue of fake news and, um, yeah, there, there's just so many advantages and disadvantages of social media. But I think that one advantage is making sure that you know you can have a community online of, of people who are interested in the same cause as you. You can exchange information very quickly, whether that's in the forms of petitions, for example, um, or uh, sort of invitations to events and protests and and all sorts of things to mobilise offline action. Um, and I think it's important that we then make sure we recognise that we can't just act completely online, but it has to be this very beautiful partnership and fusion of the online and offline world, right? And I think that's where the change really happens: is offline, is when you figure out um, what you can do online and then take that to the offline community. Um, and I think that's really important in itself because. Offline is more practical. It's more the hands-on action. It's speaking directly to decision makers. Um, it's, it's on the ground protesting. It's holding these community events, meeting survivors, for example, and people with lived experiences of, of the issues that you're interested in, in tackling. Um, it's about, you know, going to the library, picking up books, researching, learning, unlearning. Um, this whole process of growth is, is an offline process, right? And and we can't just keep focusing on the online world and expect change to happen. It's gotta be, again, this partnership of, of both worlds. Um, but yeah, the online world is great for raising awareness. It's great for sharing information and connecting people and building community. Um, but I strongly believe we need to be taking action offline too, particularly when it comes to reaching, again, those communities and those people who don't have access to the digital world and bringing that information resources to them too.
0: Absolutely. And they're using these online platforms to facilitate modern slavery to take it offline. So what does taking action look like to you on and offline? Oh, gosh,
1: <laughs> that, that's a great question. That's a hard one. <laughs> there have been so many. Um, I think for me, again, I always value the impact that we have, um, you know, so launching Solid Dreams in itself was was an achievement and a great sort of moment in in our journey because, you know, we were really one of the first fully youth-led collectives that has been consistently working to promote the full, effective, meaningful and substantive participation of young people in all our diversity within decision-making processes and efforts that directly relate to combating modern slavery and human trafficking. Um, but I think The achievements are always when we connect with other young people, and those are the highlights for me, and this is the hope that I cling on to in this activism world, is actually reaching those young people. As young as seven years old, for example, and seeing, you know, first the shock when they find out that modern slavery and human trafficking still exists and how it's existing on our doorstep, but it's more so seeing that determination, that passion to take action, even from the age of seven, and seeing that hunger to really drive change and already coming up with innovative solutions, um, you know, about boycotts, for example, about implementing legislation, about having a global task force and police force that goes around and uh, monitors human trafficking in different countries and and sort of has accountability mechanisms. And these are kids as young as seven who are pitching these ideas. Um, But I think that's the greatest achievement itself is seeing the impact that we're having on the ground and seeing it actually, there is hope. When I depart this world when we depart this world, that legacy of Stolen Dreams, but also that the hands that the world is going to be left in in terms of generations to come, I think um, they're they're in good hands. And and that's the hope that I'm clinging on to for dear life, I think.
0: (laughs) What are you working on currently? Give us the 411 and the inside scoop on what Stolen Dreams is planning to save the world. Yeah, so
1: we're working on a lot of things at the moment. Um, perhaps too much. <laughs> uh but yeah, we we just continue to really work towards making sure that young people are being centered in, in conversations, not only about human trafficking and modern slavery, but also in my capacity as uh sort of as a represent, youth representative to different UN agencies and, and working within the UN system as well, just really making sure that the voices of, of the people who are being spoken about are being centred, right? And, and making sure that young people are being really integrated into the UN system. So uh, we're with Stolen Dreams. Again, we're continuing to do our, all our advocacy, our education programmes. Um, we are working with the UN Office on Drugs and Crime um, for sort of strengthening their youth participation on, on tackling transnational organised crime in particular. Um, I was recently, um, sort of early this summer, in in Vienna at the UN constructive dialogues on the smuggling of migrants and trafficking in persons. And for the first time, um, these conversations are being held and and we've set a precedent for having young people's voices present there. So hopefully we have facilitated that space. And now it's off to whichever other young people who are wanting to engage in the space. It's it's down to them now. We've created the space and it's 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 theirs to occupy and and take the power, really. Um, So that's been very exciting and that process. Um, but also within the UN system, there are a lot of conversations, a lot of exciting conversations happening. Um, we, we currently have the negotiations for the establishment of the new UN Youth Office, which is um, outlined under the Secretary-General's Our Common agenda. So there is a group of us youth activists who are fighting our hardest to, to get our foot through the door. Um, we are trying to get as much information from them as possible to influence these intergovernmental negotiations as possible. Um, so this is very much an exciting time for the UN system because we're seeing very much um, an institutional change, uh, You know, a whole office dedicated for young people and to promote the meaningful participation of young people. Um, but again, young people's participation in politics is very politically contentious. Um, and so there is some pushback from some states. Um, some states are very receptive and, and really want to push forward this process. But we as young people are not very meaningfully being included in this conversation. So we're very much fighting our hardest um, to make sure that some diverse, representative, inclusive representation is being sort of facilitated. But also to make sure that this youth office isn't haphazardly implemented. But this is something that is really uh, sort of foundationally, systemically um, integrated into the system to make sure that it's, it's as effective as possible. Um, but, yeah, just, there's just so much happening right now. Um, a lot of exciting conversations happening within the UN world, but also at the grassroots level in terms of what we as Stolen Dreams are doing. Um, and we just look forward to working with as many young people as possible in all their diversity to make sure that we're driving those very um, concrete changes, but also to make sure that we're being as ambitious and bold as possible.
0: I am so proud of you for doing that. That is so amazing. And on behalf of probably every young person listening to this and even not listening to this, thank you because you're making sure our voices are being heard at the table that matters more than anything, the legislative table. So thank you for that.
1: This is not a lone effort. There's there's a whole team of, of amazing young people behind who are working, you know, co-creation, co-leadership, co-ownership. That's what... We're, we're really embodying and what we're calling on decision makers to adopt to is this sort of feminist leadership um, of of co creation, co leadership, co ownership.
0: And if there's anything I or anybody listening can do to help your effort and your team's effort, please let us know.
1: Yeah, of course. Yes. I mean, yeah, email me, drop me a message. I'm on social media and everything. I'm always looking uh, to, to connect with the young people. So, if anyone is interested in listening, then. Uh, all the communicator channels are open and always happy and here to support.
0: Oh, last question. <laughs> I'm so sad. What would you say to young people that want to build awareness for the causes they believe in, but they're hesitant, they're scared to reach out, or they're just, you know, they simply need a little bit of pep in their step. What would you say to them to encourage them?
1: Well, we'll definitely don't be afraid. I think, um, and that's probably easier said than done because I remember being terrified before <laughs> launching Stodent Dreams, um it's 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 intimidating it's daunting this activism space but yeah never be afraid to to start um but also never be afraid to ask for help um it's always important that we're um asking for help and you know we need support um there are always people plenty of people out there who are willing to give it um and never be afraid to fail either i think um you know i think the way in which that society has been conditioned is that we're always trying to be perfectionists and i think that actually making mistakes and failing can actually be beneficial because we're learning it's a process right and and actually when you do make a mistake or fail you can reevaluate and you can find a more innovative way of approaching something um i think that's sort of one of the main barriers and hurdles that i personally face as well in in stolen dreams and, and continue to face as well um but it's something that a lot of young people face in terms of starting activism to really just go for it be the change you know find the thing that you're passionate about um it can be it can even be something as simple as one thing in your local area you want to change and just keep going for it. Don't give up, keep persevering and never lose sight of why you're doing it. I think we often will, young people may often get caught up in the sensation of being a youth activist and sort of, it's, it's not about who speaks the most, who has the most followers on social media. Um, it, It's, it's really an individual journey. Why are you doing what you're doing? Really figure that out, um, figure that out. You know, what is your motivation? Um, and there is a beauty to that i think and that's the whole process in itself um is proving out why you're doing what you're doing um and of course yeah ne- never give up you will f- you will face challenges you will face exclusion tokenization barriers hurdles um that's all part of the process it, it's inevitable um but it's always important to know that the work you're doing at whatever level it is is so important And you're not alone either. There are so many people out there who are facing similar challenges to you, but also so many people out there who are there rooting you on, cheering you on from the sidelines and who are ready to support you with whatever you may need, including myself as well. Always here.
0: Thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us today, Ishan. And once again, I'm so proud of you and everything that you've done. And I'm proud of your team and everything they have done. And I appreciate your excellent articulation of the issues and just your expertise in general. And now that we're in community, I will be reaching out soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a
0: pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you would like to find out more about volunteering, tune in to our next episode of the What We Value podcast. Are you interested in getting involved and active yourself? Head over to whatwevalue.telecom.com to discover and support exciting volunteer projects across Europe.